Welcome to Angular Master Podcast. My name is Dariusz Kalbaczyk and I am your host. Today we meet with Manfred Steyer for the third time and our target is IV. Okay, all right. Hi, Manfred. Hello. Nice to hear from you. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really fine. Thank you. Okay, so let's start. The first is the technical part. As I said, today's target is IV. So what exactly is IV and what does it different than the previous Angular compiler? Yeah, so the thing is, uh, and now we all need to be very strong, Angular does not care about our HTML at runtime. At runtime, Angular is just dealing with JavaScript because it's more performant. It can, it can be more optimized by the JavaScript virtual engine in your browser. And that's why Angular is compiling your HTML down to JavaScript code. And this has been the case all the time, but now with the new Ivy compiler, this happens in a smarter way in a way that produces uh, smaller bundles, in a way that provides more flexibility. And this is what basically Ivy is doing, compiling everything down in a smarter way. And of course, Ivy is also providing a runtime that is executing this compiled code at runtime. So what, what do we have to do to use Ivy? Well, the good message is you can make use of it just by migrating to a newer Angular version. If you migrate to Angular 9, 10, 11, or meanwhile 12, then you will get Ivy out of the box. Um, if you face any issues with Ivy, then you can opt out of Ivy. In this case, you can set a flag in your dsconfig.json. But normally, if everything works fine, just migrate to a newer Angular version and you are covered. Okay. So what's the pros and cons to migrate to, to the Ivy? Well, one of the big advantages of Ivy is, as mentioned before, we get smaller bundle sizes because it uh, is compiling your HTML code in a smarter way. Yeah, but And yeah. another reason for this is um, it produces code that is more tree-shakeable. It produces code that is less using methods and objects, and it is more making use of functions. And the thing is, functions are better tree-shakeable than methods and objects because... Just by looking at the source code, you can tell uh, if a function is used or not. This is not that easy with methods because we have things like polymorphism or let's say late binding. That means it's decided at runtime which concrete object is used. Um, another thing that Ivy is... Enabling is something like lazy loading of components or uh, underneath the cover, it's meanwhile possible to work without ng modules. This is a possibility that just exists underneath the covers 
currently there is not a public API for this, but Ivy is prepared for this future where ng modules are optional. Yeah, so I've seen some statistics that Ivy allows to shrink Angular-based Hello World application to just 14 kilobytes. How is that possible? Yeah, that's quite a nice statistic, isn't it? So yeah. this is possible because Ivy produces smarter code. As mentioned, they are using a lot of functions and no objects and methods. So it's more tree shakeable. And another reason is the generated code is in general a bit smarter. Uh, and yeah, this in combination leads to smaller bundle sizes. Saying this, those 14 kilobytes are currently not possible if you use Ivy in the backwards compatible mode. And this was the overall goal of the Angular team. They didn't want to introduce any breaking changes because they didn't make good experiences with breaking changes, I suppose. And so currently we are running Ivy in a backwards compatible mode. And so we cannot squeeze the last byte out of the bundles. Um, but if we would skip this backwards compatible mode, we could really end up with those 14 Ks. Yeah, but why they present measurements for Hello World application? What with the real world applications? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So for them, a Hello World application is really a good baseline because it shows how good Ivy is when it comes to tree shaking. And if we see that we have a Hello World application with just 14 Ks. Uh, even though it's built with a framework like Angular that's quite huge and powerful, then this really proves that almost everything of Angular can be tree-shaking away. So for this baseline, a Hello World application is a good thing, I suppose. On the other side, of course, we also have to look at real-world applications. And uh, there, uh, the things are a bit different. Uh, the Angular team defined three categories of real-world applications according to what they saw at Google. You know, at Google, they have over 2,000 Angular applications and they categorized them into small, into medium size and into large Angular applications. And they figured that the most benefits we can get out of huge Angular applications because uh, the generated code is smarter and of very small Angular applications because uh, Ivy is better when it comes to tree shaking or to be more precise, it is better when it comes to producing tree shakeable code. And there the benefits are up to 40%. That means you can reduce your bundle sizes up to 40%. When it comes to medium-size IV applications or Angular applications in general, there is not a huge benefit, uh, perhaps some percent. Perhaps the application is even getting bigger for one or two percent. Okay. So, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, IV allows uh, lazy loading for component of components. Why mm -hmm. it? Why is 
is great. And uh, why hasn't this been possible before? Yeah, uh, good point. So why is this great? Uh, I think one of the cool use cases we could implement on top of this is something like partial hydration, partial dehydration, which basically means that the user, first of all, just gets a static HTML file. This is very quick. They just get a static HTML file that is immediately displayed. And only when the user interacts with this or that component, we need to load the code for this or that component. Only if the user clicks a button, we need to load the click handler of this button. And obviously, this leads to a quite nice performance. This is taking the idea of lazy loading to the next level. And this allows us to combine the good performance of server-side rendered applications with the benefits of client-side rendered applications. Of course, this is a bit music of the future. Something like this is on the roadmap from the Angular team. Um, if you look at the roadmap, there is one point that is talking about, um, what is it called? I think it's more control over rendering components or over loading components. And this is what can lead to this idea of partial hydration or partial rehydration. And if you ask me why hasn't this possible before, The answer is before all the metadata Angular needed for executing components or services was located in the Angular modules. And because of this lazy loading only worked if we loaded a whole NG module. Um, nowadays with Ivy, everything is local to the component, to the service, to the pipe. They call it the locality principle. And so uh, it is fine to just load the service, the pipe, or the component. It can live uh, on its own. It does not need an anti-module anymore. Yeah. Um, are there any other things that IV enables? Yeah. Uh, there are several things IV might enable in midterm or in long term. As mentioned, one of the things is optional anti-modules. Um, it's nice to know that Ivy isn't using anti-modules underneath the covers. At runtime, when you compile your application with Ivy, there is not a thing anymore as an anti-module. But for the time being, we still use them uh, to be backwards compatible. Another thing that Ivy enables is dynamic components. You could also call it meta programming, which means you can implement an application that is implementing an application or implementing, a, a, let's say, a component on the fly. Basically, you can do what the Ivy compiler is doing on compile time at runtime. And so you can get a dynamic component or something like a higher order component, something that's already known from the area of React. And last but not least, another thing that would be possible with Ivy is going zoneless. 
You know, currently we need zone.js for change detection. And uh, with Ivy, we can get rid of this, which is also a point on the roadmap. Getting rid of zone.js makes everything a bit more lightweight because we need uh, one less dependency for running Angular in the browser. Yeah, um, how will optional ng models work? Mm -hmm. So if you look at the source code that Ivy is producing, you see that Ivy is just adding some static properties to your components, to your services, to your pipes. And these static components contain everything Ivy needs at runtime to execute those building blocks. That means we don't need any other metadata at all. And as part of those static components, we have, as I call it, the neighborhood of the component. The neighborhood is a reference to all the other components. A component is allowed to call all the other components, all the other directives. And because everything is in there directly in those static properties, we uh, can run components, directives, services without ng modules because everything is local to those uh, building blocks. Uh, as mentioned before, at runtime, this already works this way today. At compile time, we need ng modules to be backwards compatible, but hopefully sooner or later this will go away. Sooner or later, they will provide this possibility uh, in the public API. I've done some experiments. I skipped ng modules and I tried to squeeze in the neighborhood of the component. Officially, it's called the compilation context uh, into the component with a custom decorator. It's not the fine English way of doing things. It was just an experiment and it really works. If Ivy has everything locally at runtime it needs, then uh, it works already today seamlessly. Also, there is a nice experiment by Minko, you know. Minko is a very valuable member of the Angular community, a very smart guy, and meanwhile he is on the Angular team. And one of the first things he did when he uh, when he entered the Angular team, when he joined the Angular team, was forking Angular and uh, adding some properties to the decorators, to the component decorators. And those properties also allowed to define the neighborhood, the compilation context, all the other components. One component is allowed to access. And yeah, so he also proved that this would be possible in theory. Now it's up to the Angular team to decide how they will make this possible with the official public API of Angular. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk uh, now about zone-less change detections. Mm -hmm. And why do we need it for Ivy? And uh, perhaps uh, can you elaborate a bit on zone.js and what's it about? Yeah, totally. So zone.js is a dependency. It is used by Angular. And the idea is that zone.js 
squeezes itself into each and every event handler that exists in your browser. And it is doing this by monkey batching all the browser objects. That means it is overwriting a lot of objects so that it is notified when an event handler runs. That could be a click handler, that could be a mouse move handler, that could even be a promise or a diamond. Every time such an event occurs, Sonjs knows about it. And so Sonjs can tell Angular, Angular, it's showtime, please check your data bindings. Something happened now, there was an event handler, perhaps this event handler changed some bound data, check all your data bindings. And Angular is saying then, okay, I will do it, I will check uh, all my data bindings. The thing is, the way Sonjs works, and I think you have already uh, recognized it when I described it, is using a lot of magic. And this magic with monkey patching all those objects works perfectly until it stops working. And when it stops working, you have really a hard time of debugging issues. This is one reason why the Angular team wants to make Sonjs optional. Another reason why they want to make Sonjs optional is it is another dependencies and it takes some kilobytes. And normally, when it comes to a business application, this is not that a big deal. But if we implement tiny web components with Angular, this is quite an overkill. In this case, it's possible that Sonjs is bigger than the bundle of your web component, and somehow this does not feel right. And a third reason why Sonjs uh, should go away or should become optional is Sonjs can monkey batch browser APIs. But one thing Sonjs cannot do is monkey batch async and await statements because they are just statements in uh, ECMAScript. And that's why currently we cannot use ECMAScript 2017. Because ECMAScript 2017 uses native async and await statements. Uh, if we down level it to ECMAScript 2015, uh, then something like TypeScript or Babel makes promise change out of async await. And this can be totally monkey. So for the time being, there is an intermediate solution to make use of ECMAScript 2017 and above. Uh, it's a trick. The thing is, they are down-leveling everything. No, they are using ECMAScript 2017 as is, but they are still down-leveling async and await as it would be the case with ECMAScript 2015. This is currently the trick, but uh, if we would get rid of Sonjs, we could totally use ECMAScript 2017 without downleveling async and await to promise chains. Yeah, okay. So, uh, how does IV enable metaprogramming and dynamic components? Mm -hmm. So, I mentioned before, basically what IV is doing is IV is adding static properties to your components and services and directives and so on. 
And as mentioned, those static properties contain everything Ivy needs to execute this building block at runtime to render the component, for instance. And now everything we need to do is to add those properties at runtime. That means we could create a class at runtime that uh, represents our, let's say, component. And we could add such a static property to this class at runtime. And then we could give it to Ivy. And Ivy does not care if this class and the static property has been built during compile time by Ivy itself or during runtime by our source code. If it has everything Ivy needs, then Ivy can execute it. Yeah, and this is the key for metaprogramming. This allows us to create components on the fly or to orchestrate different components on the fly. Of course, this is nothing we need for each and every application. It's a quite dynamic use case, but there are always edge cases where something like this comes really in handy. Yeah. Uh, so last question about Ivy. What if one does not need Ivy at all? Do we need to migrate to Ivy or not? Yes, sooner or later you have to migrate to Ivy uh, because the predecessor of Ivy, the Vue engine, has been deprecated with Angular 12. You know, Ivy has been introduced with Angular 9. Since then, we had both the old Vue engine and the new Ivy compiler plus it's runtime, but now with Angular 12, the view engine is deprecated. And this totally makes sense because meanwhile, migrating to Ivy should be quite straightforward. We have a lot of experience with it in the community. Google also migrated a lot of their Angular applications to Ivy. And uh, at some point in time, it's really important to move on. We cannot support the old stuff all the time because this would slow down our innovation cycles. And hopefully, if there is just Ivy at some point in time, we can use Ivy for implementing new features in Angular. As mentioned before, features like uh, going zoneless or features like using uh, optional modules or not using modules at all, uh, stuff like this. Okay. So let's talk now about your new course. Let's mm -hmm. say I am totally new in this topic and I have a few questions. Like, what is the course name and uh, where can I buy it? Yeah, so uh, it's called the uh, Angular master course for architecture, for Angular and architecture. And uh, you can buy it at uh, the website. We will, I think, link uh, with this yeah, podcast. Yeah, exactly. So I think it does not make sense to spell yeah, yeah, out exactly. the whole uh, URL. Simple. And it's about Angular architectures. That means it teaches you how to plan huge applications, huge enterprise scale applications with Angular. Yeah. 
So the link is, by the way, the link is angularmaster.dev. Yeah, ah. so, yeah, so this is the easy way. Uh, how many people joined the course so far? Yeah, meanwhile, we have almost 100 people uh, from 24 different countries. So it's, it's really amazing, if you ask me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really amazing, exactly. How many chapters does the course have? And uh, should you go through them one by one? Does it matter? Yeah. So um, we have uh, four main chapters. The first chapter is about Angular libraries. The second chapter is about monorepos and Annex. The next chapter is about domain-driven design, or to say the least, static design, uh, strategic design, which is quite a nice approach for planning your huge applications. And in this chapter, I'm also showing how to implement your strategic design with an axe, uh, with this cool tooling for the Angular CLI that allows you to deal uh, a bit better with monorepos. And the last chapter is about micro frontends. You know, micro frontends is a topic that has been heavily discussed in the last month. A lot of people are wondering how to implement them and also when to implement them. And in the fourth chapter, you will get a lot of answers for this. We will also combine module federation with Angular elements, which allows you to mix and match different versions of Angular and different frameworks. Of course, it's not the recommended way to mix and match different frameworks and versions, but when it comes to migrating a software, something like this really comes in handy. Also, uh, if it comes to a merger, a customer of mine is a bank and this bank has been merged with another bank. And the one bank has been used Angular before, the other bank has been used something else, and somehow they need to bring their applications together. Uh, besides those four chapters, we have also some bonus chapters. In one bonus chapter, I'm showing how X fits into this very architecture. And another bonus chapter, I'm talking about modern security scenarios where you can loosely couple your application to something like an Active Directory or another identity provider. And this is also important because somehow you want to authenticate once and then use several micro frontends. I will also explain how this works there. And the last bonus chapter is the Outlook. Uh, in this bonus chapter, we are playing around with the private API of Ivy to give you a feeling about what Ivy will make possible in the uh, future for you. Things we have discussed today, things like optional NG modules, things like uh, going zoneless and so on. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, if I could understand, it is a video course. So what if I have a problem and cannot proceed to the next step? Yeah, that's a very important question. The thing is, 
we try to not make just a video course that is a fire and forget course. Like here you have the videos and uh, become happy. No, this is nothing we want to do. We want to get out the best of both worlds, the best of having a video course, the best of asynchronous learning, and the best of having an instructor-led course of synchronous learning. And that's why we are combining those video course with Q&A sessions. We have office hours once a week. We are meeting each Friday. And uh, in those office hours, we can concentrate on your very questions. Perhaps you are stuck somewhere. Perhaps you have further questions you want to discuss. Or perhaps you want to discuss those topics in the context of your very application. This is the right, right place for this. And so you have both the flexibility of videos. You can learn when you want in your own pace. You can repeat it if you want, or you can skip several chapters and you can ask questions. Another thing that helps you when you are stuck is our lab descriptions. We have quite detailed lab descriptions you get together with the recordings. And those lab descriptions have some hints. And the hints are normally hidden, but if you click a link, those hints will be displayed. And so you will see what you need to type in, what you need to copy into your class, to your component, to your service, to make everything work. So uh, that's perfect. Can I communicate with the... Uh, other course participants and with you? If so yeah, far, of course. How? Uh, there is a discussion uh, forum, forum. There is a, how do you call it? Uh, yeah, it is a, a, a discussion group where uh, you can meet your peers and where you can meet me and where we can discuss things uh, if there are any questions. Will this course be developed and will there be further additions? Yeah, totally. So we are collecting feedback and then we work in this feedback into the course. Some of the bonus chapters have been created because of the feedback and we are always happy to get further feedback because there will be uh, more iterations of this and so we will add more content and improve content over time. Yeah. What if uh, what will I learn by going through ent the entire course? Will I be ready to build an advanced NX-based architecture? Yeah, so I'm always saying this course starts where most of the Angular introductions stop. Normally, an Angular introduction shows you how to use, let's say, Angie modules and how to spread them over different folders. And this is exactly where this course starts because the theory at the beginning of this course is that just having modules and folders is not enough for a huge enterprise scale application. This is an application that is developed by several people for several years. In this case, you need something more. And we will learn several approaches for this, like um, monorepos, like an axe, 
like uh, going with NVM backcatchers, like going with different flavors of micro frontends, like going with web components. This is something you will learn. There is also a case study. There are labs where you can try everything out because, you know, words are cheap. But at the end of the day, uh, you need to try everything out to know how to use it. And so I would also answer the second part of your question with yes. After this workshop, you know how to architect and how to implement advanced architectures, architectures with an axe, but also architectures with other tools. And you are capable of evaluating which architectural strategy fits best to your current needs. Yeah, thank you. Um, our podcast must not be complete without the human part. So, Manfred, uh, many people know you from speeches from various conferences. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, uh, do you remember when we first time met? Well, I think it was on one of your conferences, Angie Borland, I guess. Angie Borland, 2017, maybe. Is that possible? Yeah, I think 17 it was. Yeah. What, by, what are the benefits of speaking at the conferences? Uh, should, well, should every passionate programmer try? Well, I really enjoy to talk about things I'm excited about. And so it's always a lot of fun for me. Also, getting in touch with other people's, people is a lot of fun for me. Should every programmer try it? Well, I would say uh, it is for sure something that helps you grow. Because knowing something... And being capable of explaining it to other people are two different levels. If you are capable of explaining it to other people, you, uh, you know it a bit better. You have to force yourself into thinking uh, through it and into learning it a bit better. So yes, I guess you will become a better programmer if you are capable of explaining it to others. And so, yeah. If you feel comfortable with it, uh, try it out. And perhaps if you are new to this, start with a meetup. And if you like it, proceed with conferences. Yeah. Uh, how often do you perform on stage in front or in front of the screen nowadays? Yeah, nowadays quite often because of the pandemic. I think it's several times a month because... There are a lot of conferences and because I don't need to travel currently, it's quite easy to join those conferences. I don't need to travel to overseas. I can just get in my home office where I'm currently also sitting and uh, do my talk. So it's, I think, several times a month. I think the pros of these uh, times is that we uh, can do this conference in front of the screen and in cons of these times is we have to do it in front of the screen. <laughs> yeah, totally. It yeah. has, it has advantages and disadvantages yeah, for sure. Exactly. I mean, not having to travel is for sure an advantage, but not being there 
is a disadvantage for me because I really love to interact with people. Yeah. Do you remember any unusual reaction to your performance? Well, I remember two things. One thing is um, one customer asked me to use Skype. I didn't even know that Skype is still a thing, but they asked me to use Skype because of their big firewall and they told me Skype can be dundled through it. And at some point in time, Skype crashed. And the thing is, Skype doesn't tell you if it crashes. And so I proceeded with my presentation. And only after, I think, 10 or 15 minutes, I recognized that the customer isn't there anymore because Skype crashed 15 minutes ago. And yeah, this was somehow funny. I mean, back then it was not that funny. Meanwhile, I can laugh uh, about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as youngster, uh, did you also love performing in front of an audience? And if not, what does have changed in your life that you finally like it? Yeah. So the thing is, uh, I didn't like it at all. When I was about 14 or 15, I did not like it at all. But the thing is, back then, the 15, my parents put me into business school, which is here in Austria, a special type of high school. We have less general purpose education and a bit more uh, business education. And one part of this was, besides accounting and economics, to present. We had to present in each and every topic something, in each and every sub subject something. And uh, after some time, I learned to enjoy it. I think it took me almost the five years this school lasted. But at the end of the five years, I really enjoyed giving presentations. And I think this is also a benefit for talking on stage. Yeah. Um, what's your greatest childhood dream and has it come true? Well, my greatest childhood dream didn't become true because it was becoming Batman and <laughs> somehow <laughs> this didn't work out that well. Uh, another childhood dream was, I think this was when I was about four or five years old, I wanted to become a postman because I really liked our postman. He uh, stepped by on a regular basis. He brought us uh, packages and he was always well-treated by my grandma. You know, at the countryside, the postman is always yeah. getting something to drink if they visit you. And most of the time back then it was alcoholic. So, I think I thought it would really be nice to be a postman because visiting people, getting something to drink there, bringing them presents in form of packages they have ordered. Uh, but it also turned out that this was not my passion. My third childhood dream was to become a programmer. And this was the dream I had when I became 16 or 17 Back then, I teached myself Turbo Pascal, 
I found some old book about Turbo Pascal and I read it and I figured out that this kind of thinking and working really fits me. And so even though I was in business school, I tried to learn more about programming by myself to be capable of start a career or start working in this area after finishing this business school. Uh, what would you like our listeners to remember from today's conversation? Yeah, good question. So um, I think one very important aspect is it's really difficult to become Batman. And <laughs> another thing is Ivy has a lot of potential. Underneath the covers already today, Ivy has a lot of potentials. Ivy allows you to do amazing things like going zoneless, like meter programming, which is about creating components on the fly, like working without energy modules. And now we have to be patient because uh, we need to wait until this will be possible with Angular's public API. Uh, but hopefully time will be our ally. Time will work for us. Yeah. Okay, Manfred. Thank you. Thank you so much for this third edition of Angular Master. I thank you. And uh, how, as I said last time, I hope to see you in person very, very soon. Yeah, so, same as. Thank you so it's much. Time. It's time this pandemic goes away. Yeah, exactly. It's time. Thank you so much and see you around. See you around. <laughs>